we're not going to be searching on Google anymore. We'll just ask Google a question and Google gives us the answer. Mm -hmm. That's it. So now imagine now sort of the next step is like all of your answers, the, the way you perceive the world, the way you understand the world comes through a language model. Hmm. Now, this language model is regulated by what I call the, you know, the police, uh, the speech police, basically. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, well, in order to, you know, make our language model safe, you know, remember under the AGI red herring, we have instituted all these regulatory bodies. Okay. We now approve language. Mm -hmm. This is the ultimate kind of like, I, I view this risk as kind of like an Orwell mixed with inception. Mm. And like everything you know and understand about the world comes through a set of language models that have been basically narrowed in to acceptable language, acceptable speech, acceptable ideas. And that's what everybody knows. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Alex Svetsky, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Mr. Breedlove, thank you for having me back. <laughs> Great to have you, man. Uh, I don't know what number this is for you, but it's been a lot. Um, we are in Oslo, which is pretty cool. We are in Oslo. Oslo Freedom Forum. Mm -hmm. You've been celebrating with a lot of freedom fighters, hearing a lot of really powerful stories, but then also spending some time with some quality humans. So it's been a Indeed. good experience. It's been good. It's, a, it's, a, it's also a very, a very neat city. And I'm yes, like it's a orderly, very, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting city. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I think it's orderly and nice, but I have noticed the prices are really high and the food quality 
It's not so good. So I'm wondering if that's the socialist element manifesting itself. Possibly. I, I heard a stat that um, 70% of their GDP is uh, public. There you go. Um, now, I mean, I think that's a function of the fact that their sovereign wealth fund is so big. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there's... I think that sort of uh, suffocates out any, you know, majorly competitive private sector. Yeah. Because, you know, like you, you go to other cities, like you're in Prague, like you see how much more is happening yeah. there, right? Like yeah. this is a sleep in comparison. Yes. And Prague was much lower prices, much higher food quality, yeah. which is much more free market, right? Well, it is, but, but it's, it's also actually a cultural thing. Like if you want good food in Europe, go south. Mm. If you want structure and order, go north. Mm. So there's a, there seems to be a reverse correlation. Is that a climate thing? I think so. I think it's a climate thing. I think, I think I've got this whole grand unifying theory that I'll one day write about. I, I have a theory on culture. Like, you know how they say politics is downstream of culture? Mm-hmm. I think actually everything is downstream of temperature. It's like the temperature theory of life. Okay. Um, like, and that everything can be defined uh, in temperature. That's fucking interesting. Yeah. Well, I hope you write that piece. Yeah. That, that'll be a, let's do that in 2025. <laughs> All right. Deal. <laughs> uh, by way of quick introduction, you are entrepreneur author, and now founder of a new project called The Spirit of Satoshi. Um, and today, we're going to spend an hour or so talking about artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and some other topics in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Can we start with, I mean, AI holds a lot of potential, a lot of promise. It's very exciting, uh, very new as far as these large language models and chat GBT and all that. And talked about for a long time, but now we're seeing the real practical applications emerge. Also very concerning. People are worried, right? Hey, is this thing going to turn into Skynet and destroy the world, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera? So can we start with just distinguishing between the real and the fake artificial intelligence risk? Yeah. So I think um, I've, been, I've been sort of banging on about this for a little while now. I, I deep dived earlier on in the year, just trying to make heads or tails of this whole AI thing. And and I'd argue that I used to be one of these people who believed that, you know, we could uh, compute our way into consciousness, mm. for example. Um, particularly when I was younger, you know, I had this whole theory of, you know, you get to a critical mass of neurons in the brain and then all of a sudden intelligence and consciousness emerges. And look, that may actually be the case. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever know. But um, what, what I've sort of come to realize is... Um, you know, while humans are not very good at, uh, you know, projecting exponentials, we seem to also be, I mean, it works in both ways. We we project the short term too highly and, you know, the long term too low. Yeah. You see what I mean? So it reminds like, me of Amara's a, a law. We overestimate what we can do in a year, underestimate what we can do in 10 years. 10 years, yeah, exactly. So, so it's kind of, we seem to perpetually suffer from this problem, right? And, you know, we we've managed to basically stumble on, you know, machines that can produce coherent sentence structures and you can communicate with. And all of a sudden our brain leaps to, oh my God, we figured out AGI, consciousness, you know, all this sort of shit. And to me, that sounds like a, you know, it's it's a big leap. Um, Mm -hmm. And people like, uh, they lose their sort of minds over it. And, and it introduces a couple of risks. And, you know, the risks are generally, and what you'll hear on the mainstream is that, you know, we're so close to artificial general intelligence and that, you know, if we don't uh, build in safety or human alignment or whatever, whatever, like, you know, 
buzzword they're sort of trying to use, um, you know, responsible AI and all this sort of right. stuff. If we don't do something about it now, if we don't, exactly, yeah, we, we need to regulate uh, AI, right? If we don't do this now, it's all over. The human race is going to be taken over by, you know, some sort of uh, killer machine. And to me, that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And you know that book, Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom? Yes, I haven't read it at all. I reread it about um, two months ago, two and a half months ago. And dude, it was the, I felt like I lost 30 points of IQ. It was like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm, like really? it was so bad. Um, because you've got these, these kind of like unfounded um, ideas of what, you know, intelligence and consciousness is. Like the mm. book at no point actually spends any time trying to define intelligence. And it just sort of takes these leaps of like, oh yeah, we can get to artificial intelligence perhaps through whole brain emulation, right? Mm. Like you were saying that you'd read the book Super Intelligence, yeah, um, like the third time, yeah, and had some opinions on that and how it related to the risk, real versus fake risk of AI. Yeah, I, I think I'll just pull one note out of that, and I, I recommend people go and read it themselves again and like you know drop their own IQ. But there, there was just like a bunch of hysteria, and then there was one thing in there which. Uh, you know, reading it now again, ten years after it was published, you know they, you know, there there was a real adamant consensus back then that once we discovered language, um, so or, or sorry, in order to discover language, it would be what they call an AI complete problem. Mm. An AI complete problem is something that we can only discover once we get artificial general intelligence. Mm. And the whole premise of this whole AGI thing is that once we hit AGI, you have self-replicating machines, and you end up getting this like fast takeoff, right? Well. Turns out that we figured out language and we ain't fucking anywhere near general intelligence. Mm. So it was like eh, a big, you know, like. And you're saying we figured, like humans figured out language? Yeah, humans, you know, okay. as in like, you know, the, the idea was that we, we would never get a machine being able to talk like a human being. And now we have that. We have that. Yeah. And it's it's in no way generally intelligent. Like if you start to sort of dig underneath the um, surface of what these language models are. Mm. And, you know, I wrote an article recently and I called them stochastic parrots so mm. basically like the, and and this is the challenge it ties back to what we said earlier about like projecting too hard in the short term mm. and you know too long in the long term is that we like we anthropomorphize stuff mm. to, too quickly and with language models it's the first time really we're actually talking to something other than a human mm -hmm. in a coherent fashion like honestly the only other thing that we've ever spoken to that kind of regurgitates language is actually a parrot hmm yeah. Like that is we like from parrots to computers. Now like everyone's freaking out. It's like, oh, it's alive. And it's very easy to think that. But essentially these these machines are just probability machines. So if if anything, what it's told us is that intelligence itself is far more complex and broad mm -hmm. than just language. Like, you know, the, the original hypothesis is that, you know, language must be the marker of intelligence. Mm -hmm. When in reality, language seems to be actually, you know. At least the ability to produce language in a coherent structure seems to be predicated on patterns and large numbers, mm. right? Which is essentially what these machines are actually good at doing. And, you know, as I said, we project that forward. And th this is sort of, I'll kind of mention what where the sort of the risks deviate now is you've got the what I call the red herring, which is the, the AGI risk. Mm -hmm. Artificial general intelligence is coming tomorrow and we're all going to die. That's the Skynet fear. That's the Skynet fear, right? Yeah. And and I, I kind of placed that fear in two camps. One being, you know, the nihilistic nerds who just like have a wet dream about, you know, they, they sort of project that something intelligent must be evil and take out all humans because, mm -hmm. you know, they don't, they don't sort of, they don't register cooperation or anything like that. It's like, you know, you must 
kill and all that sort of stuff, right? So that's kind of the nihilistic, you know, wet dream of nerds or genuine um, attempt to uh, kind of uh, stoke hysteria in people again, mm. right? Because once again, we, we just don't understand general intelligence, let alone consciousness, the whole other topic. Um, and much like climate change, it's very easy to get people, mm-hmm. you know, worked up over, oh, you know, the, the machines are coming, we're all going to die. So you've got that. And then what that opens the door for is safety, regulation, mm. you know, proof speech and all this sort of stuff. So this is sort of, you know, that that red herring is not the risk itself, but it actually makes way for what I think the real risk is, which is, you know, I sent you an abbreviation earlier called the language user interface. Mm-hmm. And what I believe is the real paradigm shift with these language models is you look at what the internet was. The internet was sort of this uh, university of ideas, right? Sorry, or universe of ideas, like mm-hmm. an idea verse. Uh-huh. And it started off as like, you know, just random people writing stuff and, you know, people finding it and all this sort of thing. And, you know, you had the rise of search engines. Search engines made things more discoverable, but as everything concentrated around one search engine, you know, who the hell looks beyond Google's first page anymore? Right. Right. And what's right. Google's first page? Wikipedia. Right. Like, so basically our entire internet has actually just become mm. the top three links on Google, right? Mm. Likewise with social media, social media ended up like curating a bunch of things, but then the algorithms transformed it into what the social media thing wanted to feed you. Right. So now- Think about this, a language model is going to become the new interface, mm-hmm. become the new screen through which you interact with the global corpus of knowledge. Mm. We're, in the next couple of years, we're not going to be searching on Google anymore. We'll just ask Google a question and Google gives us the answer. Mm-hmm. That's it. So now imagine now sort of the next step is like all of your answers, the, the way you perceive the world, the way you understand the world comes through a language model. Mm. Now, this language model is regulated by what I call the, you know, the poli- uh, the speech police, basically. And they say, okay, well, in order to, you know, make our language models safe, you know, remember under the AGI red herring, we have instituted all this regulatory bodies. Okay. We now approve language. Mm-hmm. This is the ultimate kind of like, I, I view this risk as kind of like an Orwell mixed with inception. Mm-hmm. And like everything you know and understand about the world comes through a set of language models that have been basically narrowed in to acceptable language, acceptable speech, acceptable ideas. And that's what everybody knows. That's scary. That's like the economization of a psyop or something, right? Just make it... You don't have to force anybody. You just accept it. Yeah. I guess the challenge comes in maintaining the reputation of that source, right? Like that it's presumed to be truthful because at some point it's a confidence game, right? Because if you're feeding it too much bullshit and people start to call call the bluff, well, then they might lose faith in listening to that particular source of information and would go elsewhere. That's the idea. So now th- this is, you know, leads into what we'll talk about a little bit later is like, how do you combat this? You know, and I think mm-hmm. the only way to combat this is kind of the old school free market approach of build alternative models right? and give people options. That was the next thing I was thinking. I was like, would alternative models call, if this language model's espousing bullshit and being controlled and it's propagandistic, would another language model be able to ascertain that and tell people, you know, provide an opposing viewpoint perhaps. That, that's the idea. And this, this is why I think the most important fight in the AI space 
is not getting distracted by AGI and mm-hmm. unconscious computers and all this fucking garbage. I honestly think that's a distraction. The real fight is ensuring that the regulators don't come on top of this and say, oh, language models are dangerous for hallucination, misinformation, mm-hmm. or AGI is going to come out of them. And therefore, the only language models you can use are the approved ones. The approved language models. Is that an open source versus closed source struggle too? It is a little bit. like, And and I think a lot of people get confused with open source, closed sources. I don't actually have a problem with a bunch of closed source models competing. No, I don't. Like, yeah. You know, right. like um, open source makes it harder to shut the model down, mm-hmm. right? Because clo- it's the classic closed source, open source. Yeah. It's like the whack-a-mole game, right? Yeah. But um, I, I think it's more a game of uh, options and alternatives mm-hmm. and having many of them. So, so the way I kind of want to see the world evolve in the AI space is having many models and you know have p- pick a model for a genre or for a niche mm-hmm. for a use case and almost like having the same way we use programs today on a computer like you use adobe mm-hmm. you know pdf reader or illustrator for design right. you use something else for something else you have different ais or different domains yeah. that's a better world um and that's a real like sort of diverse you know series of intelligences yeah. versus these kind of holistic narrow model oh sorry holistic general models yes okay okay it's getting heavy already um but i think we have to like at least get some definitions going around here because there's some big ones floating around yep. agi which you mentioned artificial general intelligence what is it that separates artificial intelligence a la chat gbt from agi like what is the threshold of achieving agi obviously it's I guess theoretical because we've never done it, but right. someone's drawn a line somewhere. I presume if we have two different terms, and then if you go a level down the stack, what is just intelligence? Um, we talked about this a little bit offline. I, I'll share my two favorite definitions of intelligence. One is from Jeff Booth that intelligence is error correction. Pretty straightforward. Uh, the other one is a quote from someone who I can't recall, and intelligence is the ability to pursue the same ends with different means. So something that can select a goal and then opt for different ways to attack that goal. And if one path doesn't work, it can move to another path. So it's sort of like a goal seeking. We used the homing missile analogy earlier when we talked about it. So what is intelligence? What is AGI? What is intelligence? And then the big mysterious one, what is consciousness? All right, we're gonna answer the meaning of life in this one. So yeah, I I wrote an article about this um, a couple months ago, and I basically got stuck at the trying to define intelligence mm. component because you know th- those are good definitions: the the error correction, the um, the the multiple approaches toward an end goal. Mm. You know, there's the one that you also mentioned when we were chatting is like the ability to actually change the goal. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of meta in a way, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. So, Where's so, the thing about yeah. the homing missile doesn't get to choose its target. Exactly. The the person firing the weapon and the designer chooses the target. Correct. But a homing missile that could choose its own target would be like maybe AGI intelligence. Extra smart. Oh, yes. maybe, yeah, maybe not AGI, but yeah, extra smart. Maybe yeah. some other layer of intelligence. Yeah. So this is this is where I get a little bit uh, stuck with the whole AGI um, and even the AI discussion. Like these ChatGPTs and stuff. That they're even it's even hard to call them artificial intelligence because I guess they're, they're really machine learning um, basically high powered probability engines but you know I guess is that intelligence it must be some level of mm-hmm. intelligence on this stack um, and I guess 
you know, to, to kind of s- to stick with the two definitions that you mentioned, I think that's sort of like a good place to start with intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, artificial, I guess, means some sort of, you know, human created, mm-hmm. uh, generally computational form of intelligence. And then the, the sort of the idea around general intelligence is that we as human beings are the example of general intelligence. We can we can be intelligent across a series of mm. um, uh, intelligence modalities, mm. right? We can think, but we also have muscular intelligence, mm. we'll have hormonal intelligence, chemical mm. intelligence, all this sort of stuff. And and this is where um, I mean, there's so many you know different sort of thread. This topic is so big; it's not even funny. But a lot of the people who are sort of you know, I guess scientifically pro AGI that we can get there through computational means. They generally subscribe to a theory called the computational theory of might. Right, is that right. consciousness and intelligent emergence through emerges through computation. Yes, and as long as you keep increasing computation, you cross intelligence, general intelligence, consciousness. Yeah, they sort of discard contemplation, right? They, they discard that. They discard like this sort of this idea of embodied intelligence. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, as well, they they discard this. Which that's been that's been proven, right? That I mean, isn't that the AI people are struggling to create this disembodied intelligence because it, it doesn't seem to be possible to have intelligence without a body. Correct. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version, because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, with a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. And I mean, so, some the, the counter arguments to that is usually, oh, well, you know, AI has a different type of body is that, you know, we've got sensors all around the world, you know, like, um, you know, the internet of things, blah, blah, blah. But my my sense is that, I mean, they're, they're and this is kind of jumping to a conclusion, but, you know, humans might actually be a, a almost like a, an efficiency maxima for intelligence, mm. because, I mean, 
if if you look at how we still understand intelligence, it's still you know very much like particularly the artificial intelligence stuff. It's still well inside the cognitive realm. Uh-huh. That that's really where a lot of right. it is. It's computational, it's cognitive, and we, we are still in the dark about how a lot of the cognitive processes function, like mm-hmm. the subconscious mind and all that sort of stuff. But then when you kind of go a little bit deeper, just with humans alone, as I said earlier, you've got like this muscular intelligence, you've got this, you know, hormonal intelligence, like how is it that, you know, like a good looking woman walks past and like all of a sudden, like your, your internal intelligence, you're not even thinking about this, but you sort of, your attention focuses that way on machines don't fucking do that. Like it's so far out of the realm of like, you know, possibility at this stage. It's only funny. And to me, like all of these intelligences make up general intelligence and this is why i don't think we're anywhere near agi for example is Mm. that i don't think we have even a concept of how general general intelligence is yeah it's so interesting we're describing the woman walking by and like we have this what primordial Mm -hmm. different levels of intelligence responding to her we're all doing that with each other all the time to some extent, right? So it's like- Where do those memetics come in as well? Exactly. Memetics, we're always imitating one another. And it's like, where do you draw the boundary of mine, right? Like, um, and so maybe it's not, maybe we're very focused on creating, recreating an individual human intelligence when in reality, humans aren't individual organisms. Like we are, Mm -hmm. but we're, our intelligence, our highest forms of intelligence come from our distributed cognition, right? Like the marketplace. So maybe that's what we're optimized for is to be a collective species rather than- Correct. And yeah. we may already be artificial intelligence. Have you ever read, um, uh, what's his name? It's not Douglas Murray. Uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No. Okay. It's hilarious. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's obviously a comedy sci-fi book, but there's just this incredible dose of wisdom in there. So without giving the whole book away, like- the, the masterminds of the universe are mice, right? And yeah. mice are pissed off at humans because we do experiments on them, but you know, it's a meta game because they're actually doing an experiment on us. Okay. And, you know, the, the mice create this like ultimate supercomputer, which they, you know, the, the purpose of the supercomputer is to give the answer to life. Mm-hmm. And the computer that they end up building- This is the answer that's 42. Exactly. It, yeah. But the thing is, that here's the joke, is that that computer punks them. He says, well, by the way, you didn't build the most powerful, you built the second most powerful computer in the world. Um, but sorry, in the universe. But I will build you the most powerful supercomputer on the um, in the universe, and that supercomputer was the Earth. Ah. So the Earth. So so, so this is kind of like a metaphor for me. Is like mm. the Earth itself is a superintelligence, and it. Mm. I guess what seems to have happened is that we are these kind of like almost like a a node, mm-hmm. right? And we like our body mind like the the way we function like the wetware that we have mm-hmm. um you know the ability to heal right mm-hmm. like to to make a machine that could you know do stuff similar to us um to be you know malleable enough to grow to heal to do all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff like you wouldn't be able to build it out of steel for example you'd have to build right. it out of some sort of substance that can heal and you end up kind of i almost think that you end up back to where we are right, right now is like you have to recreate life exactly right okay. exactly so so this is where i think i know this is a much bigger yeah. conversation obviously but I, I get the sense that uh i was listening to a podcast from Viveki actually and he kind of talked about how when you start to sort of scale up uh intelligence you start having to necessarily create uh bureaucratic layers mm-hmm. in between so what might be that as we discover new uh 
dimensions of intelligence as we try and string them all together uh, for to, to create the ultimate artificial general intelligence. Mm. You're going to have to have governors and bureaucratic layers in between mm. that end up necessarily slowing the system down and, you know, creating, you know, the, the general difficulties that come with such broad general intelligence. And in the end, a thousand years from now, we'll have created the human brain and we'll be like, that uh, we created ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So that's, that's kind of my, that's my instinct. Yeah. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just feel like it's, um, it's so, so much broader than what we can envision computationally. It maps onto that idea that na like, if you see something being done in nature, assume that nature's right and you're wrong, mm. right? It's kind of, this is a Talubian point, talks about the Lindy effect and all that. And so if a human being is the most rational, intelligent animal we are aware of on this planet, it stands to reason that we are, the, what would you say, the local maximum of, of fitness or efficiency for that particular quality of intelligence. Makes sense to me. Like, um, I get very weary too in this domain of like transhumanism yeah. and all this. Like we're trying to play God. I'm like, yeah. mm, I don't know if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't think you can fix death. Like death seems to be a component yes. of like, the collective human species. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a necessary part of the process yeah. of trying to get rid of the recycling piece. And yes. yeah, I always, man, this one is one, once again, I, it rubs me the wrong way because when I was young, you know, in my stupid twenties, like I also believed that I was like, death is a disease. Yeah. You know, like oh, I'm going to live to five. Yeah. Freeze my brain. Yeah. All that sort yeah. of stuff. Brain in a vat. Like I was a vegan as well, you know, all this sort of stupid yeah. ideas. And, um, and yeah, like de death is not a disease. It's, you know, there's a cyclical thing. And to me, there's, there's just something really, um, immature and fearful about it. Mm -hmm. All right. So AGI is probably not a risk and it's an unfounded risk. Yeah. Um, regulating language user interfaces seems to be where there's a real risk. risk. The government is the risk. Right. Usual. Exactly. As usual, yeah. again, um, because we risk homogenizing human thought within an Overton window. Yeah. Yeah. Because th th that's generally what I think is the real risk, yeah. honestly. It's like, we saw how much hysteria came out of just social media. Like, imagine language models just telling yeah. you that you need to get vaccinated, you need to wear a mask, right. blah, 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 blah. Oh, blah. Like, that's like weird. It all comes down to people's competence in the source, right? Yeah, but I mean, people are so asleep these days, like, I mean, you know, Google tells most people what to fucking think. Yeah. Like, and if something actually says it in such a way that it like, it sounds real, yeah. it sounds like a human telling you, honestly, man, the sheep will be brainwashed again. I just wonder how the state would prove the veracity of that language model. Like, would it need to make some kind of prediction and then, oh, the such and such thing's going to happen in two weeks. And then they go and like, do that thing. Maybe. They're like, oh, we oh, see those right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's, I know, it's like, now it's telling you to get the facts and the jab and all. Yeah, but it's like the climate change stuff, you know? So, they'll, you know, like Canada now is like yeah. burning and whose fault is it? It's climate change. Right. Bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah, but that's true because people would want it to do, you'd want it to do something, like predict something that no human can predict. It'd need to start, well, I don't know. You wouldn't need to do that. You just needed to be a good communicator. Because AGI doesn't, yeah, doesn't need to be able to predict the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In your view, the risk that's traditionally associated with AGI, that it's going to turn into Skynet and take over the world, is less of a probability. And, but it is kind of, uh, a support mechanism for the real risk, which is the state's going to 
intervene for our safety to protect us from Skynet. And that is the actual risk is the state intervention, monopolization, manipulation of AI. Totally makes sense to me because the state is the risk. And I've never heard this story before. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's a tale as old as time, as I say. So, all right, given that landscape, what can or should we be doing about those, the real risk? Indeed. Um, as, as I said earlier, I think it, it's, it's the classic approach of building alternatives, right? So, you know, the risk uh, with, um, with money and the digitization of money has always been CBDCs, right? Mm-hmm. And CBDCs were always coming. It was just a matter of time until we got there. You know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, Bitcoin made CBDs, CBDCs possible. It's like, no, like- It accelerated them. It, it, yeah. it, it may have accelerated them, but I guess, you know, it, it had to emerge uh, so that we had enough volume, liquidity, and sovereignty when CBDCs finally came that we had an exit or an alternative mm-hmm. or a valve, right? Um, and that's sort of the same thing we've got to do here. I think the only way- um, the only way around this is through this, mm-hmm. right? And the the solution, and, and it's it's already happening. Like I think one thing I will say that I'm happy about in the AI space is you know the the emergence of so many different models. Now, not many mainstream people are using these other models, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's like Llama, Falcon, and this, that. There's there's a million and one of them. Um, it's it's mostly sort of like tech people or nerds kind of running those models locally and things like that. Um, I think most people still just use ChatGPT by default. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some people use the Google one. Um, I don't know if you use the Google one yet, but it, it sucks. No, I barely use ChatGPT. I mean, at least ChatGPT is like a little bit more um, conversationally robust, mm-hmm. um, and you can prompt your way into something, you know, resembling a decent answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Google one just sucks balls, honestly. Um, but anyway, yeah, the the solution is to build alternatives, and it's a I guess popularize the alternatives in genres or subgenres or niches, right? And, th- and that's kind of what you mentioned, Spirit of Satoshi, at the beginning when you introduced me. But that's what I'm trying to do here with um, with Spirit of Satoshi. And what what I originally set out to do, I just kind of stumbled into Bitcoin on it. Was um, and you and I discussed this earlier mm-hmm. in the years. I was trying to build a mentoring app um, and basically use ChatGPT or OpenAI's API as the as the foundation model, mm-hmm. I was trying to fine tune it and then basically knowledge enhance it by taking work from Jordan Peterson, from Marcus Aurelius, from Ray Dalio, and creating their own what's called vector stores. And mm-hmm. and to put that in simple English, a vector store is basically a a database of um, semantically coherent or meaningful chunks of data. So mm-hmm. paragraphs, think in your head. Um, that are turned into number sets um, or vectors that a machine language model or a machine learning model or an AI model can read. Mm. Right. So what you do there is by by doing it that way, you can have ChatGPT or GPT three. And when you hear about personalized models, this is essentially what people are doing: is you'll ask your personalized model a question, and it will query the database mm. of information um, to see. What is a um, what is a chunk of context or a paragraph mm-hmm. that is semantically related to the question, mm. and inject that in the prompt and does this in an abstracted way so you don't see it. So if you ask, you know, what does Robert really love think about 
Bitcoin mm-hmm. you know, or what is money based on what mm-hmm. Robert Breedlove says. It will use ChatGPT's uh, linguistic capabilities with a chunk from one of your essays or two of your essays, mm-hmm. feed that into the prompt. And what will happen behind the scenes is it'll say, you know, you are pretending to be Robert Breedlove, Bitcoin maximalist, philosopher, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're going to answer this question and here is some context and it will answer in that way and it will mm-hmm. try and sound like you. So that's essentially what we were doing for Jordan Peterson, for Mark Sorellis and all that sort of stuff. Right. And, and we got somewhere. It was actually not too bad. Um, and we kind of bundled it into this mentoring app. But what I found myself thinking was I was like, I feel like I'm building like a product in search of a problem, you know, like mm. a solution in search of a problem mm. because I don't know, like, Sure, I've I've actually got the app here. It's like I can ask Jordan Peterson any question I want. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to ask him. It's like, hey, bro, would you eat for breakfast? Steak. Exactly. Okay. Um. So that was one. That was one issue. Can I ask you just one thing about it? it's because it sounds like that might be a better framing for what these AI tools actually are. It's more like uh, a step change in the search engine, right? That we're just searching things in a more human palatable yes. way and it's returning it conversationally so hence the name language user interface right okay that's the so uh, it's less artificial intelligence more language user interface correct and that that's the so tying it back to what we said earlier that's the paradigm shift yeah everyone's so lost in the ai noise that this is the actual thing that's yeah. interesting right yeah. now i'd like to tell you about our sponsor wasabi wallet with wasabi wallet you can receive send and store bitcoin privately In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code breedlove so anyway um but what, what i figured was I'm, I'm not sure if there's a real like tangible problem that i'm solving there and the problem that actually hit me as we were digging was you know i built like a you know model of peterson i built a model of youth i built a model of ray dalio and then we just built a model of satoshi and then like the more i thought about the bitcoin one i was like you know what there's fucking in the next decade there's probably going to be a billion people that are asked the question, what is Bitcoin? Right. Why Bitcoin? What is right. money? Well, why should I care? All this sort of stuff. Right. Why is this thing worth a million dollars a coin? Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and all the myriad of other rabbit hole questions that come with yeah. that. 
And it dawned on me, I was like, holy shit, like, th th there's two things I'll say here. One is, it's always more effective to orange pill someone one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So you can ask questions so sure. to them, understand who they are. Like, right. you know, you, you orange pill- Highly curated messaging. Exactly. You, you orange pill someone from Africa, very different than you do someone on Wall Street, very different than you do someone from Tennessee, yeah. Bruce, Alabama, et cetera. Yeah. So that's effective, but it's not efficient, mm -hmm. right? Efficient, so, you know. exactly. Efficient is doing a podcast, but podcast just doesn't talk to everyone. You know, most people goes one way out the other. Yeah. So for me, I realized, and it just sort of dawned on me. I remember, like, I woke up one morning, I was like, "Holy fuck, this is the this is the thing." It's like mm -hmm. a language model makes it possible to effectively communicate at scale. Mm -hmm. The language model can talk to you right. in a way that is relevant to you. Yes, and Interesting. It, it, but with it, the insights of Everybody, exactly. Wow. So, so I kind of envision the Spirit of Satoshi as the ultimate orange killing tool mm. for this decade. Um, I kind of see it as the first step where someone, like, if they have any query or question about Bitcoin, like, that's where you go. You don't go to fucking ChatGPT because ChatGPT is going to tell you to have a balanced portfolio of Ethereum, Dogecoin, mm -hmm. and other blockchain technologies, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and and that's just the function of. ChatGPT is trained on mainstream generalized crap. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing, and this is this is actually the other probably difference to what I was doing before with the mentoring app, is the mentoring app I was genuinely um, using GPT-3 as the foundation model and then doing this uh, kind of like a post-training mm. with that vectorization. And that's just a function of there wasn't enough data of Jordan Peterson alone to build just the Jordan Peterson model. Mm -hmm. But with Bitcoin... There is so much information. There's fucking Bitcoin and time, Bitcoin and mushrooms, Bitcoin and love, Bitcoin and fucking everything, right? right? And then, like, to train a model from scratch, you would take all of the Bitcoin content. You'd also take all the Austrian economics content, mm. all of the libertarian literature. Mm. You can even throw in, like, classical English literature, mm. like, all that sort of stuff. And you can actually build a good data set, like, a good corpus of knowledge. And it is very good for this niche. And pro probably I would even say, like, we could go wide enough to make it useful for like, you know, libertarians, freedom oriented people, mm -hmm. et cetera. And, you know, maybe the long-term potential of Spirit of Satoshi and maybe it, it morphs or evolves into another name, for example, is something broader than just Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But Bitcoin's kind of like the spearhead for it. Yeah. Um, and anyway, that's kind of the, the premise of the idea. And, you know, we're, we're actually going to build it from scratch. We're not a GPT variant or a derivative. We're like from scratch model, Bitcoin centric on those values. Um, and yeah, it, it'll, it'll speak 50 languages. So the idea is that it can orange pill anyone, anywhere, anytime, 24 seven, like, wow. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's a great point that the one-on-one -on -one communication, which is highly curated, highly responsive to questions, you know, uh, whatever. It's like the highest throughput of information when you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. versus talking to a crowd, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have to generalize the message. Because you don't know who's how right. the recipients yep. are going to receive it, um, you can take that one-on-one -on -one high fidelity communication, but you can scale it via aging or yeah. AI or language models. Language, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so so that that was the big breakthrough. That that's when that hit me. I was like, holy shit, there's actually a real problem. The real problem is learning Bitcoin is hard. Yeah, learning Bitcoin is a fucking journey. Yeah, someone to hold your hand. You, you know, like right. this language model, we can train it on everything from not just like the Bitcoin literature and philosophy, but the BIPs, like you know, the the LIPs, like uh, Lightning Improvement Proposals. Mm -hmm. So, like, we can train it on the technicals. We can train it on the how tos. 
how do I fucking use a wallet? What do right. I do? How do I set it up? You know, all this sort of stuff. Right. When should I use a wallet? When should I do multi-seek? Mm. What should I worry about? Like all of that. There's that like Bitcoin is so broad mm. that it's like it's it's got the critical mass of uh uh I guess like questions and knowledge that is needed yeah. so that there's a substantial enough uh language model to converse with. Yeah. A single character is too narrow. And I mean that is something I think everyone would use. Even Correct. like even longtime Bitcoiners would still you know, as things change, right? What's going on with this exactly. protocol development or what is what are the best providers of this type of custody service? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So like I like your Bitcoin assistant in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your Bitcoin right hand. And this is sort of where like the longer term idea is um, you know, like the language model is step one. We need we need to nail that. Because mm-hmm. and I just think just as a Bitcoin utility, it's a must have. Like the, the the world needs a Bitcoin language model, the Bitcoin community needs a language model. Um, other things that I want to do later though is I want to like Bitcoin is internet native money, digital native money. Mm-hmm. And we, like, one of the things we struggle with as Bitcoiners is that even the fiat system is quite digitally native these days. Mm -hmm. So, like, in Australia, for example, it's kind of hard for Bitcoin to compete on instant payments because in Australia we have pay ID. Like, I can send money to my mum right now 24-7, instant, no money, no cost, nothing. It's easy. Like, and it's her email that I'm sending money to or her phone number, right? Right. So, and it's it's actually the same in Brazil. Pick, Uh you know, is like instant payments to anyone anywhere Mm -hmm. anytime. So, like, we, we've kind of, like, missed the boat on that in mm-hmm. terms of, like, Bitcoin's digital superiority. Like, Lightning is cool, and yes, Lightning does have the benefit that, you know, someone from Russia can pay someone from Brazil, sure. you know, that sort of thing. You can't kind but of inside that. the country, it's not that big of a deal. Exactly. Yeah. So, I my question is, like, can we use AI tools to make the Bitcoin user experience 10x better? So, imagine if I could talk to my wallet. Or I have a Satoshi-like assistant and say, hey, um, can you, you know, generate a lightning address, you know, or can you generate the best payment uh, mechanism for me right now? I mean, Robert have to, you know, exchange something. Mm. And, you know, Satoshi checks the um, the mempool, sees the fees, blah, 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 calculates what the amount is and says, okay, look, it's better to do an on-chain. Here's an address. Mm. Do it, you know. Um, you could say, hey, Satoshi, you know, is this wallet? Are my UTXOs in this wallet private, um, or you know, do they need to be coin joined? You know, Satoshi could go analyze the chain, mm. and then give you a suggestion on okay, this should be coin joined, that should be coin joined, and then but and and maybe if we can long term compress this model so that's running locally, you know, you could actually give Satoshi permission to go and then coin join your stuff and handle mm. it. So like, there's all sorts of interesting stuff, and and for me, this is where the epiphany is. It's like AI is not the product; AI is the unlock. Mm. The product is still education, moving money, doing all that sort of stuff. AI just enhances that. Right. If we can do this right. Right, right. Yeah. No, that makes sense too, because it's like the big value out of AI is that it is going to automate many of these cognitive functions yes. that we have to do today. Yes. A lot of the analogy is, you know, what industrialization did to blue collar work, mm-hmm. AI would do to white collar. So that that makes sense. Um so where does this go? I mean, obviously you're focused on Bitcoin with us. Seems like AI, the big threat to the job market for AI is like things like accountants, attorneys, consultants, right? These knowledge workers. Where 
do these, I guess I shouldn't be calling them AIs anymore. I should be calling them language, language models. Where do these language models take us? Do they actually wipe out white collar work? And if so, what is the role? Like, again, your product's focused on Bitcoin initially, but it sounds like it could obviously be applied to other domains. So like, what is the, the progression there? Yeah, so so I'll say two things. One is um, I've got to finish this article. It's kind of like a satire. I call it midwit obsolescence technology, right? Mm-hmm. MOT. Um, and I kind of think of at least the general language models like ChatGPT and everything as a as a midwit obsolescence technology. In that, um, being trained generally <clears throat> and being designed so these um, the mainstream language models go through what's called a helpfulness and harmlessness filter. Right, mm-hmm. and they go through toxicity filters already. Um, and I know you don't use ChatGPT much, but if you have, I don't know if you've noticed how it like it preframes every response with an apology and then a post apology. Uh-huh. You know, I, like I've seen, yeah, I've seen some of that. It fucking drives you crazy, right? You can't get a damn answer out of it without it, like you know, right. stepping on eggshells, basically. So what you'll also notice, actually, if you use it, is um. You get a lot of like general. You, you get a lot of words that sit like what's what's kind of the, the analogy I'm thinking of. It's like saying a lot but saying nothing. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like kind of like high noise, low signal. Exactly. It's like all these fucking words, 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 words. But in the end, doesn't actually say anything. Yeah. Um. And to me, like, where else do you see that in the world? Mainstream journalism, mainstream blogging, mm. mainstream books. Like, how many hack fucking authors are there in the modern world? Like, mm. I'm an author. Like, right. and they just write, like, what could have been an article, they kind of like Scrandal. write it into yeah. a fucking book. Like, yeah. it's like, Jesus Christ, you could have said that in five pages. And what these language models have actually done, and this is hilarious because it's kind of like, you know, the left is really great at scoring own goals, is they just like, obsoleted all of their journalists and all this sort of stuff because now like you don't need to pay a moron journalist that right. just came out of a humanities degree 120 grand yeah, to write the same fucking yeah. thing it's hilarious so so i do think a lot of that so the, the generalized models will always be best at creating like general verbose responses mm-hmm. right uh, I don't anticipate that our Satoshi model will be as good as ChatGPT in gener- generating that kind of stuff. But when it comes to talking about Bitcoin specifically, it'll be better. It'll mm-hmm. be probably 10x better, mm-hmm. right? And it'll probably be five times worse at general stuff, um, and which is fine because that's kind of the vertical that we want to go after. And, then and that's the way you think it goes anyways, right? You get these domain-specific exactly. language. That, that'll be yeah. richer and more accurate yeah. in, a, in, in domains. Um, so so it's it's going to be really interesting to see is that I think... The, the general models are going to basically make it tough for anyone who is basically useless um, in their jobs. You know that book, Bullshit Jobs, or whatever yeah. that Graeber wrote? Yeah. Or, yeah. All, all of those people that are doing those bullshit jobs, like the the middle managers, the fucking yeah. pencil pushers, the bureaucrats. All bureaucracy. Yeah, all of that crap like really actually gets obsolesced yeah. by this sort of thing. And that and it's just funny, it's ironic, and it's great to see. Yeah. Um, I think the generalized language, sorry, the specialized language models become some sort of enhancement tool for people with a brain that want to like grasp concepts very quickly like and really get like fidelity mm-hmm. on an understanding because you can't really learn anything of depth with chat gpt mm-hmm. right um you can get like basic concepts like you know i started going down the computational theory of mind rabbit hole with chat gpt but it just kept 
spitting out the same shit mm-hmm. over and over again. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I want to go deeper here. Like I'd, I'd say, okay, give me the um, computational theory of mind argument from John Searle, you know, from this guy, from that guy. Right. And basically it'll just kind of like regurgitate the same thing just with slight linguistic, uh, stylistic language changes, mm-hmm. but it was the same thing. Whereas for me to really dig deeper, I had to go and grab John Searle's book and understand right. what he wrote. Right. So anyway, to, to kind of tie this all back is that you know, people who've got something interesting to say, um, like you do, like I hope that I do. Um, you know, when I was writing my Bushido book, man, like I tried to get ChatGPT to help me structure some sentences and stuff. I was like, this is fucking dog shit. Like I just have to write this, the thing myself. So when you're kind of outside of the Overton window mm-hmm. of these generalized models, you're fine. But anything within that like midwit, yeah, you know, a right. bell curve, right. I think you're in trouble because yeah. the models can do it better. Um, and then I think if you're outside of the bell curve anyway, I think you're, you're already the kind of personality that is um, probably more prone to leveraging tools than being leveraged by tools. Um, so you'll probably end up, you, you probably use the generalized tools where you need them, yeah. but you'll also find specialized tools to like really hone in on stuff mm. when you want to. That's cool. That's, um, I heard it described once that technology chases humans up the value stack mm. so we keep you know we automate to the best we can all the drudgeries and the dull jobs of existence and then that frees us up to do more interesting things right so sounds like this might be another leap forward in that respect it, yeah. you know i'm thinking about the investment bankers that i know they some of the most financially successful people in the world most of them hate their job yeah right yeah. because it's just this no, and I don't know. I'm not saying these language models will disrupt investment banking per se, but just a lot of the things that we don't like to do, this thing can do it for us instead. So then we are freed up to pursue higher value activities. Um, it's really interesting to think where that might take the world. Um, okay. I've probably kept you long enough. Good, sir. Any closing thoughts? Uh, closing thoughts. Um, depending on when this comes out, we'll either have a beta of Spirit of Satoshi out. We've actually got an alpha at the moment, which I'm kind of just like letting people in slowly. Um, but that's a retrieval enhanced model. It's not a model that we built from scratch. Um, but if people want to learn more about it, spiritofsatoshi.ai. Awesome. And then where can people find you on the internet? Me, um, Svetsky writes on Twitter, writes W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, or I think I've got a website. I think it's svetsky.info, maybe. I guess people can check it out and see if it's there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes and hope it's there. <laughs> exactly. This is what happens when you're interrupted by a marching band twice. Yeah, exactly. I, so. I'm waiting for them one more time. I, that I know. I'm kind of to the end of the podcast. I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thank Great you. having you as always. And uh, let's get back to the conference. Indeed.